Wasn't that awesome? Thanks, Bonnie and, and uh, crew for leading us in worship. That was awesome. That was really great. Um, we've got uh, Aaron Gray, uh, teaching pastor of uh, Sound City uh, Bible Church with us here this morning, and he's going to share God's word. Uh, Jason is over there uh, sharing God's word with them. They're preaching the same passage. So um, I heard him tell somebody earlier that he stole Jason's notes. So we're going to be good. We're in good shape. So Aaron, if you'll come and, and share God's word with us, brother, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. <clears throat> appreciate you. Yeah. I didn't recognize Steve when I walked in. Uh, I know. We've been having a, a series of meetings with our elder teams and uh, been seeing some faces from Martha Lake showing up at our nine o'clock worship gathering and hopefully you've been seeing some Sound City folks showing up here and uh, what a joy it is to know that conversations about merging together aside, we are united on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? And that is always, always true, uh, whatever direction the Lord leads us in kind of in these next few months, but uh, I'm just grateful and thankful to have friends and partners in the gospel here in the, the North Puget Sound area who want to see the name of Jesus lifted up, to see the word of God proclaimed, and to see people who are lost come to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and to see those who know Jesus grow more close to him. So I'm, I'm grateful to get to be here today. Let me do this. Before we dive into the text, let me tell you just a little bit about myself so we can get to know each other, but before I tell you about me, I actually am just curious. That's a photo of my family. Uh, well, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute here. Let me just start with this. How many people here have been a part of Martha Lake Baptist Church for more than five years? Raise your hand. Okay. More than 10 years. Keep your hand up. 15? Do I hear a 20? 25 years? All right, we got, you got Mark and, and you guys are going to be fighting with Nathan later. Okay, uh, 30 years? Oh, wow. Okay, can we just do this? Praise God for your faithfulness. Our church, Sound City, we just celebrated our fifth birthday. So we're just getting the training wheels off of our bike uh, as a church. I'm so thankful for the, the foundation and then the gospel legacy of faithfulness to the word of God. How many of you know uh, it seems increasingly difficult to stay faithful to Jesus and to his word as we progress forward? So can we just give a big round of applause for these who've been faithful not only to the word but to this church family? It's amazing. I uh, grew up in Alaska, born in Fairbanks, but was mostly raised in Anchorage. My parents were not believers in Jesus. In fact, they were uh, very rebellious, wild, running from the Lord. And the midwife who caught me when I was born, I think had pity on me and said, these people need Jesus or this kid might not make it. And so they invited my parents to church, uh, the midwife did. And after three years, God got a hold of my my mom and my dad and saved them miraculously. And uh, so I'm grateful for the legacy of faith that I was raised in. And I was always raised kind of knowing the part of my parents' story where they were wild and just running from Jesus. And uh, it is not to say that I am perfect or anything, but my testimony is kind of boring because I was raised in the faith and I was raised to know Jesus from a young age. And I, I've been praying for my kids that they would also have a really boring testimony. And I pray that regularly for the children at 
Sound City Bible Church, we have an avalanche, a tsunami of children that God has blessed us with, and we do not view them as an obstacle to worship, but actually a part of our church community, uh, and we're so thankful for all those who serve in the children's ministry to, to teach them and disciple them and to, to train them in the ways of the Lord from a young age, and that's what I pray uh, for my own kids, for the kids of Sound City, for the kids of Martha Lake Baptist. My dad is an engineer. He's a mechanical engineer. And my mom is a music teacher. And I thought for a while that I might be an engineer. And then at the last minute, I uh, veered left very hard and went to music school. So I actually have a degree in music. I was a classical guitar teacher, choir director. And I just led worship at the church as a volunteer. So I always have a special place in my heart for all those people who are leading and serving. Did that for years and years and years. And every once in a while, when I'm not preaching on a Sunday now, I sneak back and I grab a guitar or I jump on the drum set when nobody's looking and I still get to play music uh, a little bit. And actually now, my oldest daughter, Mackenzie, has been helping out leading music at our church as well. Um, my assumption was that I would be like my dad, that I would work a day job and then just serve the church as a volunteer. But actually in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s, the church that I was a part of in Alaska uh, offered me uh, a position as the worship pastor. And so I've been in vocational ministry now for coming up on 14, 15 years, somewhere in that, uh, and somewhere in that timeline. Since the photo of my family's up there, yes, I'm married to my wife, Erin. Her name is also Erin. That's how bad I am with names. I had to marry a woman with the same name as me just to make sure I always keep that one straight. And then as you can see, I have been blessed with all daughters. So Mackenzie, our oldest who's here, Delaney in the white and green on the right, she is 13. Reagan kind of hiding there with the blonde hair. Uh, I don't know where the blonde hair came from. Uh, my brother has blonde hair, and so it's in the gene pool somewhere. She is 10, and then Hadley, our youngest, is 7, but she wants to be treated like she's 27 because she's got like four moms in her life and she's like, don't you dare. Uh, here's, here's what I say. I've got all daughters. Jason's actually got all sons. He got a good laugh this morning at the nine o'clock service. He said six boys. Everyone's like, oh my goodness. Here's my joke is I always say God knew how many women it would take in the house to balance out this much manliness. So that's <laughs> what I tell myself. I moved to Seattle in 2011. I thought that I would be in Seattle for one year. Uh, I had felt the Lord kind of stirring my heart towards church planting and preaching, and I wanted to get some training. My dad had planted a church when I was a teenager. He always did that bivocationally. He still worked as an engineer, planted a church, and I had a lot of experience uh, in that time, in my teens and through my college years. But I felt like I wanted to get some more training, and I knew of a church in Seattle at the time called Mars Hill that was doing a lot of training in church planting. And so my wife and I thought, okay, the Lord's leading us. We'll go to Seattle for one year, get some training, and move back to Alaska and plant a church. So obviously here we are, uh, because the Lord had some different plans. I, I was a part of Mars Hill, ended up getting hired on staff, served as a worship pastor for two years down in Tacoma, what is now Resurrection Church. And uh, then I got a call that the Shoreline campus of Mars Hill was in need of a new lead pastor. And would I pray about taking on that role? And so I did. I took on the role of campus pastor, lead pastor in 2014. And I don't know if all of you are aware, but uh, Mars Hill quite literally imploded and crumbled in the year 2014. That was one of the most difficult years of my life because I felt like I was thrown into a fire uh, for a church that I had nothing to do with. 
I had people asking me all sorts of questions. Like, I'm, I'm way newer than you are. I joined Mars Hill just only about two and a half years earlier than that. And so uh, going through that season was incredibly difficult. And we launched Sound City out of that. As Mars Hill collapsed, a group of us said, hey, let's continue on. And I can tell you guys this. Jesus did not say that he would build our church. And he did not say that we would build his church. He said that he would build his church. And through the trials and through the hardships, I am more convinced than ever that Jesus is true and he is faithful to his word. And the more closely we cling to him through many dangers, toils, and snares we just sang about, he will keep us with him. Amen? So that's my conviction. And I love the church. There are so many things uh, in my life that I thought would be different, but I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And Jesus has given me a deep passion for the church, the, the capital C church. I love the people of God. I met Jason, uh, your, your pastor. I met him at a pastor's fellowship, a pastor's lunch, because I love to go and meet other leaders and other pastors in the area and to hear about the report of the work that God is doing in other local churches. I love our local church. I'm getting to love your local church, but I just love the church and I love to see the work that God does in and through his church. And I hope and I pray uh, in whatever context that God will use me to serve people in the church because it is his plan A to get the gospel message out there and there is no plan B. It's the church, it's the people of God. And we're gonna see that even in uh, the passage here today in a minute. And so that brings us here today, as, as Pastor Steve mentioned, Jason is over at Sound City, preaching the same section from Colossians. And uh, we are in this process of praying and talking and exploring the idea, could we accomplish more together for the sake of the gospel than we currently are as individual local churches? And so here's my ask, pray for us. Pray for the elders of Martha Lake Baptist. Pray for the elders of Sound City Bible Church. Pray that the Lord would make his will crystal clear to us and pray that we would all love each other well, regardless of how this goes, that we would be partners in the gospel together going forward. I'm, I'm told there's, a, there's a, a fellowship and lunchtime afterwards. I'm planning on sticking around. I think there's even a microphone set up, although I probably don't need it. I can just talk loud enough. Uh, but feel free to come and ask any questions that you might have. I think one of the other elders of Sound City, Doug, is going to come and join us at that time. So at least be a couple of us and Mark and Dad. I don't know if any, most all you guys are going to be sticking around afterwards, Nathan, and some of you guys. So we'll be here. We'd love to answer any questions. Some of the answers, probably many of them will be, well, we don't know yet. That's a good question, but feel free to at least ask them. Okay? Pray, ask questions. Let's get to know each other. With that said, here's the real reason why we're here today. The Word of God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. And I thank you that uh, these are no mere dry words on a page, but that Holy Spirit, you, uh, you inspired them to be written and you bring them to life in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that you would eliminate distractions right now. I pray that each of our hearts would be able to focus in on your word. God, I pray that you would give every single one of us a soft and teachable heart that we might receive truth from your word. God, I ask and pray for myself that you would guard my lips and you would direct my tongue that I might teach only that which is truthful to your word and helpful for building us all up 
in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. The title today uh, for this passage, for the sermon that I'm preaching in this passage is The Mystery of Christ. The Mystery of Christ. And uh, start with this. I don't usually make New Year resolutions. Does anybody here make New Year resolutions? It's not, I don't think very many of us are ever inspired to, but I did make one this year. And the, the resolution or the plan was I want to read more fiction. I think there's something cool about reading fiction and kind of thinking through stories and how people experience life. I read lots of nonfiction in my role as a pastor, but also just as kind of a nerd who likes to learn things. So I said, I'm going to read some fiction. And my wife looked up some different things and she suggested for me, and the first book I read this year was a classic novel called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. It's by Agatha Christie. Anybody familiar with that one? It's a, I think it's around 100 years old. And it was a, it's kind of a murder mystery. And it's one of the, the mystery books that was first to have this really surprise twist ending. Now, you and I, if you read many novels or watch any movies, we're more used to the surprise ending now. But when this book came out, it shocked the world of literature because this ending was so surprising and so unforeseen. I, I, generally speaking, I think that humans like a good mystery. There's something about a mystery that kind of draws us in and, and kind of intrigues us. You know, on the sinful side of things, it's why people like gossip. We like to know something that maybe we shouldn't know. And, and on the dangerous side of things, it's why we rubberneck when we drive past a car accident. Be honest, you've done it, right? You drive past a car, wonder what happened, what's going on? We, we want to know things. We're drawn to the mystery. And throughout this passage... Paul and Timothy, who's writing this along with him, refer to the gospel of Jesus as the mystery of God. And actually, I started looking all throughout Paul's letters. He refers to the gospel as the mystery of God. This, this mystery that's been hidden throughout human history, Jesus Christ. And so I want to explore that theme with you today. Now, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 24. And this is kind of a transitional section. Uh, I believe Pastor Jason has, has mentioned this to you, but I'll mention it again. We're about to head in chapter 2 into Paul and Timothy, excuse me, directly confronting some false teaching that is starting to come against this church in Colossae. And so before they go directly against this false teaching, they want to set up just what is the gospel of Jesus? Last week, this, this beautiful hymn of Christ and the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then this transitional section where they start to talk about the mystery because one of the things about this false teaching is it really plays on this idea of mystery and intrigue. And I'll let Jason get into that more next week and, and following, but, but just know it's, it's kind of this mystery religion. And so Paul is setting up, look, the biggest mystery of all is now revealed to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's unpack these verses together. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Let's pause there for just a minute. Now, 
this section has some pretty standard language of Paul. He talks about being commissioned by God. Paul talks about that pretty often. He talks about rejoicing in his sufferings. Everyone's favorite theme in the Bible, right? Rejoicing in your sufferings. But he uses this phrase that is interesting. What is, he uses this phrase, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. You read that verse, like, hold on a second, pause, time out. Paul, I thought that Jesus, when he died on the cross, when he experienced afflictions, I thought that the work was complete. I was under the impression that when Jesus cried out with a loud voice from the cross, it is finished, there was nothing more to be done. I thought that that hymn that we sing, Jesus paid it all, meant that Jesus paid it all. Anybody with me on that? So what does Paul mean by something that's lacking in Christ's afflictions in his body? Well, the, the, the clue or the key is in the little parenthetical phrase, the church. Not Jesus' earthly physical body where he hung on the cross. We're talking about his ongoing work in the body of Christ that is the church. Raise your hand if you are part of the body of Christ. So there's some sort of ongoing work that's happening through the body of Christ. And we know this very simply as the spread of the gospel. Making disciples. Let me put it to you this way. In Jesus' earthly life and ministry, he did not make all of the disciples that are going to be made. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he looked at his followers, and he looked at his first disciples, and he said what? Go into all the world and make what? Make disciples. What is Paul doing? What is, well, when, he, when he's writing this letter, currently he's in prison. But what had he been doing? going into literally all of the known world at the time and making disciples of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying, when he says lacking, this has not, this doesn't have to do with atonement. It has to do with getting the gospel message out. And how encouraging is it, friends, to know that you and I, nearly 2,000 years later, are recipients. We're beneficiaries of that gospel work that Paul did so long ago. What an amazing thought that is. And Paul says that growing the church and making disciples is really hard. Paul knows a thing or two about suffering. Suffering as a missionary. In, in Jason's sermon, uh, he's not here to defend himself, but when he preached this morning at, at Sound City, he, he referenced the verse in, in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about beatings and shipwrecks. I mean, Paul knew some suffering. But he says that he's rejoicing in it because he wants to see people come to know Christ. Friends, can I just say this to you? You and I should not be surprised when we undergo hardships for the sake of following Jesus. How many of you know that life is just already hard, right? Life in a fallen world is just hard. How many of you know that when you sign up for Team Jesus, you're now adding on extra hardships, okay? I mean, just very simply, just the world, the flesh, and the devil. When you sign up for Team Jesus, the world does not like that we have a message that says, repent, 
The world does not like the message that says, this is sinful and displeasing to God. We must repent and the world will come against us and the systems of the world will stand opposed to us. You, you agree? How many of you know that when you sign up for Team Jesus, your flesh has to die? <laughs> okay? Your flesh, like I have sinful, selfish desires that wage war against my soul and I am told to put those to death. That's extra suffering. Oh, and what about the devil? Do you think that he likes it when we're fruitful, sharing the gospel, loving our neighbor, reading the word, praying, showing the love of Christ? Do you think that, do you believe that we have an enemy? Do you think he likes it when we're fruitful? No. So when you sign up for Team Jesus, he, he is opposed to you. So when you sign up for Team Jesus, when you trust in him for his salvation, you are actually signing up for extra hardships. You're welcome. Sometimes in churches, you know, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe they're well-meaning, but I always get frustrated when I hear pastors or churches say things like, hey, you know, come to Jesus and he makes all your life better. Look, I wouldn't trade following Jesus for anything. He does make life better. Amen? And simultaneously, we are holding in tension the idea that we're signing up for some extra hardships. That's what Paul is saying. And if we're going to share in the eternal life of Jesus, well, Paul knows and we know that we're going to share in the sufferings of Jesus as well. Let's continue on. Picking back up in verse 25. This, this word of God fully known, and here it is. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now, but now revealed. The surprise ending. <laughs> the big plot twist now has been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is, he's going to give away the ending, Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> I, I, we're going to come back to this theme of mystery, but let me just say briefly, um, Paul gives away the ending. Here's the surprise ending. You ever, you ever do that? I mean, you're reading a book and you're like, well, I just, mm, I'm a little nervous. Let me just flip to the back and see how the ending turns out. Anybody ever done that? Okay. The, the thing is, it's totally cool to do that with the Bible. Okay. The surprise ending, Jesus comes, dies. Oh, he rises again. He's going to return again to judge the living and dead. And all who put their faith in Jesus, the ending is really good for us. Amen. So that's good. We can flip to the end. And I love that Paul says that this, this desire of God is to make this good news known among the Gentiles. Quick show of hands, how many of you here today are non-Jewish followers of Jesus Christ? Jason and I were actually introduced to one another by a Messianic rabbi friend of ours, uh, uh, Rabbi Matt. I don't know if he's mentioned him here or not, but, but Matt's a really good friend of ours. And, and it's really fun to sit and talk about him as a Jewish follower of Jesus and me as a non-Jewish follower of Jesus. And I've done the Ancestry.com. I'm like, really not Jewish. I, they looked into it. But... This mystery was given to the Jewish people for the benefit of the Gentiles. Praise God, we're beneficiaries of that. Let's keep going. I'm gonna come back to this mystery theme in a minute here. Verse 28, we proclaim him. We're proclaiming Jesus. He's the focus. We warn and we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word there in the Greek for mature is, is related to the word telos. It's, it's like the goal that he wants to see the, the completed, finished work. One of our values at Sound City Bible Church is progress, not perfection. Because 
Okay, this trick question coming up. How many of you have reached a status of perfection? Anybody here? Anybody here perfect? Anyone here is like, I could not get more godly. <laughs> no, we're all being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Amen? And we have that as our goal, that, that God is working in us. And Paul is working for that good as well. And, and I know your elders are working toward that good for you as well, that they want to see you godly and mature in Christ. Paul says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you. He's really pouring his life out for, for you and for those at Laodicea. That's another city that's about 10 to 12 miles away from Colossae. And for all those who have not seen me in person. <laughs> it's good reading. I like it. It's all right. I'm, I'm easily distracted, but I'm really quick to forgive too. It's fine. He says that, that I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love. I love that picture. There's a church in Colossae and there's a church in Laodicea and they're praying that these two different churches would really love each other. Our churches are closer than Laodicea and Colossae. I pray that our churches would love each other well so that they may have all the richness of complete understanding and have the knowledge, here it is again, of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is where they start to transition. I'm, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. I may be absent in body. I'm locked up in prison. I can't be with you right now, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. And then they're going to head into this time of directly refuting the false teaching that has come up. Now I want to spend just a few minutes reflecting on this, this question, this kind of big idea question. Why is the gospel of Jesus Christ called a mystery? I started looking through the letters of Paul, even into Peter, John. I mean, think about it. Like the God, it, is, it is all over the place. It's a mystery, the, the secret of God, the hidden treasures. It's all over this passage. It's all over the New Testament. And, and as I said, it has to do from, from a contextual level, it has to do with the specific type of false teaching that was starting to crop up. Have you ever heard of something called Gnosticism? Raise your hand if you've ever heard about Gnosticism. If you're not familiar with Gnosticism, full-blown Gnosticism was a belief that came about later, after the time of Paul, that there was this secret knowledge. And if you could just kind of learn the right secret handshake and, you know, kind of have your mind enlightened, you could be elevated into the secret knowledge. Now, Gnosticism, as it is uh, come to be known is not yet fully in bloom, but the seeds of it are starting to appear all throughout the Greco-Roman world. And we're going to see that this kind of pre-Gnosticism is mixed with some Jewish elements. It's mixed with some pagan elements. And so from a contextual level, Paul and Timothy are saying, you don't need to go searching in any of these mystery religions. If you want some intrigue, you want some mystery, look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean for us? See, I, there's a phrase, uh, it's attributed to St. Augustine, a 300th 
300's early church father. He says this. He says, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. Have you ever heard that quote before? It's a really good quote. What he's talking about is the old and the new testament. If you read the old testament, the gospel is in there. You guys just went through the book of Daniel, right? We were, I didn't even know we were going through the book of Daniel at the same time. We just finished up Daniel. I still don't know who the Antichrist is. I'm sorry. Uh, I tried my best, but it just wasn't revealing itself, right? You read the book of Daniel, the gospel is absolutely there. But it's kind of hidden and it's kind of concealed. The author of Hebrews, actually even Paul in Colossians says it's, it's like shadows. It's there, but it's a little bit hard to see. And then in the New Testament... The New Testament is like, whoa, it's like the answer key that makes everything just like come to life. You ever done that with like, uh, I know that like uh, uh, Jason and, and Melissa, they do homeschool. I was homeschooled a little bit when I was a kid. And you ever get like, you try to do that and you have to get the answer key and you check your work. Like, oh, well now I see it. Obviously it's so, it's so plain. I should have seen it the whole time. That's what the New Testament is like for us. The new is in the old concealed the old is in the new revealed. When you have all of the things in the Old Testament, the temple, the sacrifices, prophecies from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and, and Malachi and all these things, they're like these shadows and they're signs that are pointing to something. And then what's really interesting is when you read the gospels, specifically the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm currently reading through the book of Mark right now in my personal reading plan. Do you ever notice how many times Jesus teaches in parables? Kind of keeps the meaning a little bit secret. Or um, I was reading about in, in Mark when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And he raises this girl back from the dead. And it's just this amazing miracle. And then do you know what Jesus says? He says he strictly told them to not tell anyone. Be quiet. What do they go do? They go tell everyone, right? There's this, there's this, thing that happens in Jesus' life. He, he tells people not to talk about his miracles. He tells the demons to shut up. Be quiet. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. Be quiet, demons. He's waiting for this moment of his death and resurrection for everything to just explode. And now we get to see fully the plan of God of salvation hidden throughout ages. So why, why would God do it that way? Why would God set up a mystery? Why would God make it so that there's this kind of intriguing thing that leads us through the page of the Old Testament, through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, all up to his death and resurrection? Let me, let me give you three reasons that I see in the scriptures. The first one is this, it's God defeating evil. Like a good general in a military campaign, God does not tip his hand to the devil. There's a really interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 2 where the apostle Paul says, we speak of God's hidden wisdom. It's this mystery, something that God predestined before the ages for our glory. And then Paul says this. Paul says, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
<laughs> what an interesting thought that, that God is like keeping his plans secret because the devil comes in and thinks, ha, we got him. We're killing the son of God. And he did not know that in that moment of the death of Jesus is his greatest defeat and our freedom and redemption. Amen? So, so God hides the plans a little bit. I mean, it just, I just, it makes me just fall down in awe and worship God. Like you just, you just outwitted the devil. I love it. There's a second reason that the scripture gives us because when God does that, he alone gets the glory. Only God gets the glory for the plan of salvation. The book of Ephesians, it really, I put Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 up there. It's really Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 1, Paul calls this gospel, this plan, the mystery of his will, and then goes into this big long section about how grace is by faith alone, or that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not a result of works, so that what? So that no one could boast. You and I would not come up with the plan of salvation that God came up with, okay? You know what humans come up with? Humans come up with religion, Humans come up with, do all these good things, don't do all these bad deeds, hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. God came up with, I'm gonna send my son, born of a woman, to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to rise victoriously on the third day and offer salvation freely to anyone who would trust in the name of the crucified and res resurrected Messiah. We don't come up with that. Human beings don't think up that. Only a God who is beyond our comprehension comes up with a plan of salvation like that. So when we see this mystery that's now revealed, we have to fall down on our knees and say, God, you alone get the glory. And I think the third reason why God made it a mystery is hinted at in the book of Acts chapter 17. And it's this. It's a way of God getting our attention. Again, it's nothing like a good secret to make people kind of, Perk up a little bit. Right? You see it, again, all throughout the Gospels, you see it, Jesus, they don't tell anyone. They go tell someone. Don't let them know. They go tell, like, it's just, it's kind of human nature. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul travels to, to Athens and he sees that these, these people have a, a, an altar set up. You guys know this, the altar set up to the unknown God? And they're searching. They know that there's something more than what they know. There's something mysterious and there's something oh, kind of secret. They haven't quite figured it out yet. And, and Paul tells them in Acts 17, he says, hey, what is unknown to you, I proclaim to you as known. And he says that, he explains the plan of salvation. In verse 27, he says that God did it so that people would seek God. So that they would find him. He might, they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from any of us. I think there is something that God has done in the plan of salvation to make it a little bit shrouded, a little bit mysterious, because we might say like, what is God doing? What is it that he's doing? How do I, how do I find out more about this? How do I get in on this? It's God working sovereignly to draw his people to himself. It's pretty amazing stuff when you think about it. Mackenzie, would you bring me my water, please? I, I'm preaching hard and I forgot to bring my water up with me. Thank you. If you're, uh, if this is your first time hearing me teach, yes, I am often this excited. Uh, just, yeah, just try asking my wife about it. It's just very excited um, until I'm not. So, so the gospel of Jesus Christ is this mystery. And Paul is saying, I'm gonna lay down my life. I'm gonna suffer to get this message out to all people. 
And I think there's something really profound about embracing the gospel, embracing this idea of Jesus as the mystery of God. I'm going to share with you briefly four things, four benefits that we get when we really adopt this Pauline idea of Jesus as the mystery of God. The first one is this, we grow in humility. If we really think, God, your, your plan of salvation is just so far beyond what I would have ever come up with. Right? Paul in Romans 11, he says, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Friends, we can know God truly, but we cannot know God fully. We are finite he is infinite. We have limited understanding, limited perspective. We can know God truly. I'm not saying that God is such a mystery that we can't know him. No, he has revealed himself to us. All that we need for life and godliness has been given to us. But if you ever hear a pastor or an author or a podcaster or anybody say that they have completely figured out God, run. Because God is just ultimate. And he is infinite and he is beyond our full understanding even though we can know him truly and when we grasp this idea boy it really ought to help us grow in humility one of the things i love about the word of god is especially talking with with people who've been walking with the lord for decades i actually had this conversation with somebody just last sunday somebody who'd been walking with the lord for decades and decades and decades and they said man Think, oh, we're going through this sermon series. Well, I've heard this before. I've grown up. You know, somebody who was in their, I believe they were in their 70s, been walking with the Lord since they were a little kid and said, I just never saw that before. God's amazing. So we can grow in humility. Number two, we can actually grow closer to God in that mystery. Deuteronomy 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever so that we might do all the words of his law. So we can grow in humility, but we can also grow in closeness to God because what he has revealed to us is amazing. We know enough about God to have our minds blown and enough to want to run to him because we see that he's a God who is full of grace and mercy. And in his son Jesus, he took the penalty for our sin has given us in exchange his righteousness, his grace, and his mercy. Number three, I think if we embrace that this idea of the gospel is mysterious, we actually will share the gospel more freely. Let me explain what I mean. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians where Paul says that people who don't understand the gospel, it says that they have, it's like a veil is over the gospel. And it says that, that it's like they're blinded by the God of this age. Let me, let me just ask you this question. Have any of you ever been, mm, I'll, just, I'll use the word frustrated. Have you ever felt frustrated by someone who just doesn't seem to get the gospel? <laughs> like for you as a follower of Jesus, it's like it just seems so obvious God has loved us. Christ died for us. We humble ourselves and repent. And then you look at somebody like, what is it that's, that's standing between you and understanding this grace and love that God has? And, and the answer is, it's like a veil over their eyes. There's a blinding that has taken place there. Friends, I don't know if you know this, you can't save anyone. Only God can save someone. 
Your job is faithfulness. Your job is proclamation. His job is turning a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Only our God can do that. And so when you realize that this gospel is kind of mysterious, it takes the pressure off you. You don't have to lie awake in bed at night wondering if you've somehow failed or if you could only be a better student of the Bible or maybe I, maybe I need to go to seminary and then so-and-so would say, friends, I want the pressure to be off of you so that you're free to share the gospel. You pray, you share, you love, and you let the Lord do the work. Don't get mad at them. They're blinded. And don't beat yourself up. You're not God. Profound thoughts from Pastor Aaron Gray. And then lastly, here is this. If we really understand the mystery of God is, is the gospel, that this idea of the gospel being a mystery, I think it'll give us the power to endure until his return. Mark 13 uh, just got to this in my reading. Jesus says, that day or the hour of his return, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven. And then one of the most perplexing things that Jesus said, not even the son knows the day or hour of his return. Only the father. So what do we do? Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. Friends, we're still living in a bit of the mystery. Why has Jesus not returned yet? Why, why, I mean, the, the earliest Christians thought Paul, even the way that he writes, it looks like I mean, he's expecting Jesus to return any day. We should live with that same type of expectation. But God, we're told, is waiting so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come in. God is not slow to fulfill his promise, but he's patient, not wishing for any to perish. So why is Jesus not returned yet? I don't really fully know it's a mystery, but in the meantime, let's go share the gospel as much as we can. Let's live for him. Let's show his love and let's serve a world that doesn't really know what real love actually looks like. Friends, this is the message of the gospel. And, and let me just say this for you. The, the mystery of God is not some uh, secret document or some plan. It's, it's the person of Jesus Christ. How fortunate are we to have had this mystery made known to us. I, I think about that. Like, I love, I love preaching and teaching through Old Testament books of the Bible. I love seeing all the Christ connections. The author of Hebrews says, though, the, the, the people who were living out those stories, they were greeting those things from afar. <laughs> They're kind of having faith and, and hoping for the future that, that, that God's gonna do something. We get to see it all in its full technicolor. Christ loves us. Christ died for us. Christ defeated death through his death. He rose again from the dead. All we have to wait for now is his return and eternity with him. So friends, we can suffer well like Paul did. Friends, we can share the gospel like Paul did. We want other people to come to know Jesus, the mystery of God. Friends, do you feel fortunate? <laughs> do you feel blessed to have been brought in on this secret, this mystery that God has hidden throughout the ages? I know I do. I feel so fortunate. And so now as we turn to a time of singing and a time of giving and all the things that we're gonna do in response, let's go with hearts full of gratitude saying, thank you so much, God, that you have revealed to us the mystery that is Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? 
Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's not just a mystery, but it's the mystery revealed. We thank you that you have made it known to us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would live with a profound sense of gratitude for being brought in to the mystery that is Christ Jesus. Would you help us to live with a profound sense of faithfulness to you as we await your return? And Lord, would you help us to live with a profound sense of urgency to share the gospel freely with those who are, are still blinded, those who still see the gospel as having a veil. Lord, would you help us to know that our, our role is prayer and faithfulness and, and proclaiming the gospel and that God, your role is to convert hearts. And will we live with that type of confidence now as we begin to, this time of response and singing and worship to you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.